Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for being with us today. We are on a series called The Bad Boys of Easter, and we're leading up to the uh, Easter season. Uh, So thankful that you joined us today. Um, One of the things we want to talk about is not only the events of the Easter season, but also the personalities. Because the personalities really tie into the events. You can't have one without the other. Uh, Today we're going to talk about those who judge Jesus. Uh, We're going to talk about Annas, Caiaphas, Herod, and Pilate. And these are the four that were very instrumental in judging and examining Jesus before he is crucified. Now, if we kind of think about this, uh, the events that are going on in Palestine around Jerusalem at this time, it is the, it's the Passover. People are gathering there. Uh, they have arrested Jesus. They're going to try him, and then eventually there'll be the crucifixion. But there, there's a lot of uh, interest in trials. We've seen that throughout uh, the history of the United States. Uh, if you can recall some of them just recently, I, I've listed some. What about the trial of O.J. Simpson? I can remember where I was when someone had called and said, did you know that they're chasing O.J. Simpson in a white Bronco going down the freeway in L.A. because they think he killed his wife and uh, her, uh, her companion? And I thought, surely that can't be true. And then really for weeks and months, I mean, people were glued to the television all over not only the United States but the world to see what was going to happen to O.J. And, of course, we know he was acquitted. Uh, Casey Anthony, little two-year-old Kaylee, you know, they didn't know what happened to her. She was found dead. They thought maybe the mother had killed her own daughter. Of course, she was exonerated too. Uh, Then there was the trial of Aaron Hernandez of the New England Patriots. Uh, That was very high profile. Uh, Timothy McVeigh here in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City bombing. Of course, he was uh, executed sometime after that trial. Charles Manson, I mean, back in the, in the, the 60s. And uh, we, we had a, a tremendous amount of interest in that trial. Um, one of the trials called the trial of the century was actually the trial of a man, a German immigrant, that was accused of kidnapping and killing Charles Lindbergh's baby. And so that was a huge trial. Now, listen, in the scheme of things, the trial of Jesus is the most influential trial of all times because the fallout of this and the result of this not only impacted the players, but it impacted every one of us. So you and I are in this scene. You may not see yourself there, but you're there because what happened to Jesus affects every person's life. I want to just give you a little uh, background. Judas is going to betray Jesus. It's about midnight, Garden of Gethsemane. He uh, kisses Jesus on the cheek to identify who he is because they are in the dark, as I said, about midnight. They're going to arrest him, take him to the uh, house of Annas. Now, Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who is the high priest. At one time, Annas most likely was the high priest. History indicates that. Um, It also says that he is so influential with the Romans that he's appointing not only his son-in-law as high priest after him, but even some of his sons as they have sequence of that office. Now, one of the reasons I think Annas and Caiaphas was so much against Jesus is because he is totally upsetting their apple cart, if you will. 
many of you know there's such a thing as a temple tax. They were buying and selling in the temple. Now, this was not something new, but they had made literally almost like a Jewish mafia out of it. They were charging exorbitant prices, the money changers, because people and pilgrims would come in from all over the world and they would have to exchange the money to be used there in the nation of Israel. They would also buy the animals for sacrifice, but it had become a huge enterprise and a lot of money was coming in to some of those Jewish leaders. Well, when Jesus comes in, you know the story. He's so angered by what they're doing, he goes in and begins to flip tables over and says, you've made uh, this house, which should be a house of prayer, den of thieves. So he begins to upset all of the Jewish leaders because of his uh, approach to their um, their really lucrative business in the in the temple area. So not only that, but Jesus is acquiring a huge following. I mean, everywhere he goes, there are people who are following him, some for the wrong reason, some for the right reason. Some are only following him for the fish and the loaves, if you will, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, but some really believe his teaching. And they're accepting him as the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And this is taking the credibility and the authority and some of the power away from these Jewish leaders. And not only the Jewish leaders, but even the Roman leaders are now suspect to what this man's going to do. Is he going to create a rebellion, a riot? Is there going to be a, an upheaval? And they're there in charge of these areas for the Roman government and for the emperor to squelch such activities, and they're concerned about this. They could be removed, they could be executed, they could be called back to Rome, so there's a lot of things that are at stake here. Now, Jesus is taken to Annas. There he's examined by Annas. Then they take him to Caiaphas. Now, at the house of Caiaphas, the entire Jewish assembly called the Sanhedrin is gathered, and they're examining Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that's asked in that uh, gathering, if you're the Christ, or we might say the Messiah, the Anointed One, then tell us. Jesus said, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. Another question asked at that time was, are you the Son of God? Now, these leaders had already determined that they were going to kill Jesus before the trial. Most of the time we have a trial to determine innocence or guilt. They'd already determined they were going to kill Jesus. They were plotting that before they had ever arrested him or even had the trial. Let me tell you where that's at. That's in John chapter 11. And in John 11, this is the chapter where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now this happens in Bethany. And there is a friend of Jesus, the brother of Mary and Martha. He died. Four days later, Jesus arrives. He goes to the hillside or the graveyard or the tombs where they have buried him. He says, roll away the stone. He calls Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus is literally resurrected. Now, because of that, I'm going to begin to read at verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Do you not understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people 
not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. Now this is in John 11. This is way before the trial. So they've already plotted to kill Jesus. They, they want to see him dead. He's taken away their authority. He's taken away the crowds. He's taken away some of their lucrative income. And so they want to see Jesus dead. So they gather together. They beat him. They examine him. They literally can find nothing wrong with him. They bring in false witnesses. They don't really uh, agree on the story. So, you know, it takes two or three witnesses to sentence someone. But when Jesus begins to uh, indicate he is the Messiah, the Son of God, they see it as blasphemy. And under Jewish law, blasphemy should be uh, the death sentence. Now, it's only the death sentence if it's not true. Uh, and what Jesus said is absolutely true. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Holy One, the Anointed One. So they're, they're plotting to kill him. Now, since the Romans... Since the Romans are controlling the land, the Jewish people can't put anyone to death. So they're taking him now, early in the morning, to Pilate, because Pilate has the authority to sentence someone to death. Now, when he gets to the praetorium, Pilate comes out, here's this large Jewish crowd, the Jewish leaders, they have already arrested Jesus, they present him to Pilate, and Pilate asked Jesus a question because they are making charges that he says he's the king of the Jews and one thing of another. And Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responded, he says, are you saying this or is this what others have said to you about me? I mean, do you believe I'm the king of the Jews or are you only saying what you've heard? In verse 36, um, as we look at the end of Jesus' uh, trial here with the Jews, and now it's going to be passed on to Pilate. He said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered into the hands of the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him, What is truth? What a famous line. I mean, we, we hear that not only in the Christian world, and the spiritual world, the religious world, we even hear that in the secular world. What is truth? When I, when I think about that line, one of the things that immediately pops up is uh, you got Jack Nicholson on the stand and you have a uh, young naval attorney uh, in front of him and he's asking himself about the truth. And then Jack Nicholson in the movie, he says, you can't handle the truth. So what a famous line in, in even the movies. Well... Pilate's asking the question, what is truth? But then he turns and he walks away. I mean, how many of us would have wanted to wait until Jesus answered that question, what is the truth? But I think Jesus already answered the question back in John 14. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me and through me. So there's the examination. Are you a king? Jesus says, I am a king, not the kind of king you think, 
my kingdom's not of this world. If it would have been of this world, then my servants would have fought for me, my disciples. And then he said, but the truth is here. And the truth is going to be what I speak. And people who seek the truth are going to listen to my words. Now, today in our culture, the truth is kind of nebulous. The truth is what people think they think the truth is. But there is truth. And we live in a culture that uh, the truth has been morphed, it has been warped, it has been at the discretion of what someone says the truth is. I'll guarantee you, you can't even watch the news until the truth begins to change from newscast to newscast. So it's, it's vague, and sometimes it's up to one person's interpretation of what the truth is. So when, when Pilate hears that Jesus is a Galilean, that he feels like he has an out because Herod is the ruler of the northern part of Israel at this time, Galilee. So he immediately sends Jesus to Herod for his examination, and maybe Herod can make some kind of determination what to do with Jesus. So Herod examines Jesus, uh, mocks him, uh, wants to know about him, thinking maybe Jesus would do some kind of miracle for him. But after that examination, he sends him back to Pilate. And now Pilate has Jesus on his hands again. And really, Pilate wants to release Jesus. I mean, you can see this in Scripture. You can see it in the words that he says. He basically has said that, you know, I've examined Jesus. Herod has examined Jesus. Luke 23, he says, uh, we did not find him guilty of anything you're charging him with. Now, one of the interesting things about the story is that while Pilate is on the judgment seat, examining Jesus, questioning him, that Pilate's wife sends a message to Pilate and says, be careful what you do with this righteous man, because I've suffered many things in a dream today about him. Now, we don't know what the dream was. There's a lot of speculation, even some tradition. We don't know what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was. But his wife, and, you know, tradition says her name was Claudia. We don't know if that's actually the case or not. But in Matthew 27, we do know that the wife did tell Pilate, you better be careful what you do with this man. And so Pilate is continually coming up against these obstacles. I don't want to sentence him. I don't want to crucify him. So he says something that is a tradition around the time of the Passover. He goes back to the Jews and he says, there's a tradition here that I release one at the Passover, give them a pardon, and it makes everyone happy. And he's wanting to release Jesus for the one to, you know, be uh, free and not to execute judgment. But there's another man in prison by the name of Barabbas. Now, the Bible says Barabbas is an insurrectionist and a murderer. So there were always Jewish revolts. A group of Jews would get together. They're trying to overthrow the Roman government. And sometimes, uh, you know, these people are just uh, killed. Sometimes they're tried. Here Barabbas is. He's waiting trial. And they're going to execute him because he is a murderer. But because of the custom to release one, it is really playing into the hands of Old Testament Scripture. Because when the priests would come out to bring a sacrifice, there would be another sacrifice called the scapegoat. And that priest would, and I don't want to get into detail, but he would put in a symbolic way the sins 
on the one that would go to the altar to be uh, sacrificed and shed the blood. And then the other one would be let go. And so really this is being played out between Jesus and Barabbas and Pilate being the magistrate is really orchestrating this. And he wants to let Jesus go. But the crowd is so vehemently crying out, release Barabbas, we want to see Jesus crucified, that he gives into the crowd. I'll tell you what, what a lesson here. I mean, we, we can listen to all this Jewish history. We can listen to the things of the Bible. And you may say, well, this is just old stuff. Pastor, this is just history. How does this apply to me? It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with me. Because... When I look at some of the things that I've done that I've not been proud of, and the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then someone's going to have to pay for the things I've done wrong. Either I'm going to have to pay, or if I am blessed, then there's going to be another payment that's going to be made for me. So these people are crying out for Barabbas. Now let me give you a little tidbit here. The name Barabbas, um, have you ever heard the term, term Simon Barjona? Well, the first part, Bar, means son. Simon Bar-Jonah means the son of Jonah. Uh, the last part of Barabbas' name, Abba, Abbas, refers to father. So Barabbas, if you break down his name, it, it means the son of the father. Think about this. You, you have two men standing on each side of Pilate. The crowd, uh, you know, churned up. They're in a feverish pitch. And you could make a claim that both of these men on each side, we could say they're both the son of the father, right? We know Jesus is the son of God. Barabbas, his name means that. So here you have, as Pilate's wife said, one that's righteous. That's what she said. Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with him. Herod couldn't find anything wrong with him. Really, the Jews couldn't find anything wrong with him. So they had to trump up the, the charges. And so one son is let go to freedom. The other son has to face the cross and go through that horrific event of the crucifixion. Now, this release of the guilty and this punishment of the innocent is the salvation story, isn't it? This is the message of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I, we're guilty. We've sinned, we've lied, we've cheated, we, we've said things wrong, we should have said things, we didn't say them. I mean, every person, in the sound of my voice, you have done something wrong in your life. So that means that you're guilty of something. But here's the beauty of the story of Jesus. Jesus knew before the trial, he knew this, tried to tell this to his own disciples, that I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to die. But there was a reason for the death. It was a substitutionary death that we who were guilty could go free. And then he who was innocent would be condemned guilty and he would pay the price for the guilty even though he wasn't guilty. I know that doesn't really make sense to some people, but it's the message of the gospel. It's the good news that I, because I'm guilty, can go free because Jesus, who was innocent, paid the price for my guilt. And that's the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. 
Now let me add just a little twist to this story, and I think it's worth mentioning today. Think about this. One day, Annas, Caiaphas, Herod, and Pilate are all going to stand before Jesus as the judge. Now, this is what John 5 says. It says, The Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And then Paul would write about the judgment seat of Christ, which means that every person is going to have to give an account of the deeds done in his body. I will, you will, we'll all have to do that. Now, the only way that I get free from that is accepting Christ. And as I said, He took my guilt to the cross, paid my debt so that I might go free. It's the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. But, but think about this. One day, and we're going to flip it here, Jesus stood before Annas, the high priest, or the, the father-in-law of the high priest. At one time, he was the high priest. And he examined him. And then he stood before Caiaphas, the high priest at that time, and Caiaphas examined him. Then he stood before Herod, and Herod judged him or examined him. And then he stood before Pilate, and then Pilate examined him. Now, every one of these men, and I hope somewhere along the line, they got their life straight, and maybe they looked back at what happened and the events and the person of Jesus Christ, and maybe there was a change. We have no record of that, but maybe there was. But if there wasn't, every one of these people that we just named are going to have to stand before Jesus Christ and the whole thing is going to be turned. Now Jesus is not standing before them. They're standing before Jesus. And now He is the judge. And He is the righteous judge. And He will be the truthful judge. And so when Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate's going to find out what the truth is. I don't know how he ended his life. There's a lot of tradition in history. Some say he committed suicide. Some say he didn't. Some say he was shamed by the other rulers of Rome because of some of the things he had done. Um, but this is what we do know. They're going to have to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they're going to have to give an, give an answer of what happened. And you and I will have to do the same thing. So when we talk about the bad boys of Easter... Uh, I, I said this at the very beginning of this series. The bad boys of Easter or, or the good news of the gospel is you can't be bad enough and you can't be good enough. Now, what does that mean? You can't be so bad that God can't save you and you can't be so good that you can save yourself. So we're not saved by works. We're not saved by how rich we are, how popular we are, how much uh, education we have, what kind of color of skin we have. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And you can't save yourself, I can't save myself. But Jesus does save. And what he did at the cross was that act of substitutionary death. He took my place, he took your place, so that we could, like Barabbas, go free. And we know Barabbas was guilty, but yet through Christ he was free. And so today we have that opportunity to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And so these bad boys of Easter, hopefully they uh, turned out to, uh, you know, change their life. I don't know. But this is what we know. You can change your life, and I can change my life. And we can make that step in the right direction. And everyone can. So today, 
hopefully you, you've learned just a little bit more about the Easter story, the personalities of the Easter story, and you can change your life and I can change my life by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Well, we love you. God bless you. Uh, hope to see you soon. And uh, we want you to know that we're thinking about you and you are on our mind and in our hearts. And let's continue to worship the Lord. Lift him up. Spread the good news. And you have a great, wonderful day. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.